Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Nothing has been more fatal to men and great men than letting themselves go to the forbidden love of women. Of all the vices, it is the most bewitching and harder to be mastered if it is not crushed in the very end. To a vice so universal and so followed by young men that few there are that will give themselves time to consider the damage of it, being led away by ill example, as well as other suggestions, and the allurements of the devil, the common enemy of mankind. None ought to be more on their guard than you, since it has pleased God to let you be born what you are, For the greater men are, the more they are exposed. We have but to remember that terrible example of the royal prophet King David, who was no longer settled in his kingdom, but he forgot the great things God had done for him, and let himself be overcome by the sight of a beautiful woman, not only to offend God by adultery, but murder also. May all that have the misfortune to fall into any of those enormous crimes remember and imitate his true and hearty repentance, and do not forget the punishment and troubles God brought on him in this world, that he might spare him in that to come. What I say, and I'm going to say, is not only grounded on Christianity and sound reason, but on experience also. I must own with shame and confusion. I let myself go too much to the love of women, which but for too long got the better of me by ill example, and my not being enough upon my guard at the first attacks of so dangerous an enemy, and not avoiding as one ought the occasions which offer themselves every day, and relying too much upon my own strength, and having a better opinion of myself than I ought to have had. I have paid dear for it the instructions of King James II and Seventh of England and Scotland to his son, 1690.
Hello, and welcome to The Other Half. Episode 5.1, Rulers, Mistresses. The Mistress. If you can, just pause. Stop what you're doing, and have a think. Unless you're driving, of course. Keep focusing on that. What image does the word mistress conjure in your mind? A sensual temptress? Avaricious harlot? Gold-digging strumpet? It's generally not a flattering portrait. Stories of mistresses are often told through the prism of the victim, through wronged wives or their relatives, through stuffy moralists and churchmen. They are almost always the baddie, the villainess of the piece. Indeed, it's probably worth defining here exactly what a mistress is, as it's not the easiest thing to do. Mistresses come in many shapes and sizes with varying degrees of cultural baggage. Though not perfect, I quite like the definition used by historian Elizabeth Abbott, who in her excellent book, Mistresses, A History of the Other Woman, defines a mistress as being a woman who, either voluntarily or by coercion, is engaged in a sexual relationship with a man who may be married to another woman. Of course, this is a highly gendered definition, and we'll be coming back to that in just a little bit, and doesn't necessarily work in a modern context. But I think it does quite nicely for our purposes in this season of the podcast. Mistresses are creatures of desire. While wives symbolise loyalty, mistresses represent temptation. The fresh overcoming the stale the new conquering the status quo. This means that when news leaks of an affair, the woman is often seen as being responsible. They cause the man to stray from the path. If it were not for her, he would have stayed true. She led him into temptation and delivered him towards evil. This is, of course, simplistic nonsense, but it holds true in Western culture, In stories of marriages split by the wife and lover, we tend to back the one wearing the ring. We take the side of Princess Diana over Camilla Parker Bowles, despite the fact that, arguably, the story of Charles and Camilla is the truer love story. And believe me, I will be leaving that story well alone in this series. It's one for another time and another podcast. The story of the mistress is inextricably linked with the evolution of marriage itself. Particularly in the West, marriages have historically been oppressive prisons. The principal desire was not to create happiness or cement love. Indeed, on many occasions, bride and groom were not present when it occurred, as many medieval royal marriages used proxies. Marriages were devices of duty and diplomacy, and more often than not ignore the desires of the man and wife at the centre of it all. Napoleon Bonaparte famously said of his marriage to Marie-Louise of Austria that he had married a womb, and it's one of the aptest things that the Corsican corporal ever said. Indeed, if they were honest, this was the motivation of nigh on every prospective husband engaged in the European marriage market. In her book Sex with Kings, Eleanor Herman writes that, quote, most royal brides were considered to be nothing more than a walking uterus. Everything about a royal marriage was performative. As I said, the bride and groom may not have met before their wedding day, and yet exchanged vows of love at the altar. 
while not all of these first meetings went as bad as that of, say, Henry VIII and Anne of Cleves, this was hardly a unique occurrence. On their wedding night, duty compelled them to consummate the marriage, yet there was likely rarely any excitement in the act. They were often not even afforded privacy. The act of consummation sometimes had to be witnessed, and grooms' friends were known to crowd at the bedroom door, yelling everything from encouragement to catcalls. While some of these matches may have developed into love, many, probably most of them, remained transactional relationships at best. Indeed, it's better to think of these marriages as being more like business agreements than love matches. The king and queen appeared together at formal occasions, sitting on their thrones and wearing their crowns, but in private, they maintained separate households, slept in separate beds, and led separate lives. All of this gives ample room for the mistress. When compared to the cold, staid bonds of matrimony, mistresses provide the thrill of the chase, the joy of the new, and the ecstasy of final success. Of course, the very notion of mistress is a very gendered term. We don't have a standard term for a male mistress in the English language. We have one for the wronged man, the cuckold, but not the other two participants. This, I think, tells you all you need to know. So while there are equal reasons why the traditional Western noble marriage sucked for both participants, the option of taking a mistress was one only open to the man and not the woman. Why is that? Well, the easy answer simply is the patriarchy, and while that isn't wrong, it is a little more complicated than that. For the most part, marriage was designed for the procreation of children and the stability of inheritance. It cemented the alliance between the families that the marriage represented and the continuation of the line, at least in systems of primogeniture where the eldest child or son inherited lands, titles or privileges. In a world without effective birth control or an adequate understanding of sexual reproduction, it was thought that any sexual encounter could result in the birth of a child. And without paternity tests it was impossible to know for sure who the father of a child was, only who the mother was. This meant that the paternity of a woman's child was entirely deniable, whereas the offspring of a woman had to be beyond repute. It wasn't simply a matter of male pride, it was one of national security. Many of history's most destructive wars have been fought over disputed successions. The moral probity of the wife had to be beyond reproach. Anything else was just too dangerous. Of course, not all cultures view adultery as being inherently wrong or undermining of the institution of marriage. Many a Frenchman has repeated the words of Alexandre Dumas that, quote, The chains of marriage are so heavy that it often takes two people to carry them, sometimes three. French kings, emperors, and presidents have long had wives and official mistresses that lived out in the open. Indeed, we'll be discussing one of them in this series. Now, everything that I have thus far been talking about is a highly westernized notion of the mistress, and doesn't go into concubinage. More often practiced in the Near and Far East, concubinage was an integral part of the institution of marriage rather than an optional extra. 
Rather than being something illicit, the role of a concubine was spelt out in statute and social custom. They lived and worked in the household, and were expected to remain as faithful to their man as his wife. They could even bear his legal heirs. Then there are the harems, most notably found in imperial China and the Ottoman Empire. There, men of privilege would have scores, sometimes hundreds of women, often captured on the battlefield or bought at market, at their beck and call. These were intensely competitive places, where the women fought for their man's attention and to promote the children they hoped to procreate with him. We'll be talking about all of this throughout this series. As I've done before, I've selected 10 women across different eras, nations and cultures. I've found that this format keeps the show moving and fresh rather than getting bogged down in a topic for well over a year. This means I've had to be very selective, leaving quite a few extraordinary and fascinating women on the table. The stories of the likes of Agnes Sorel, Barbara Villiers and Inez de Castro will have to wait for another time, I'm afraid. I've also given myself a self-imposed rule to avoid, where possible, mistresses who ended up marrying their lovers. These will be, in general, the story of mistresses who remained just mistresses, not those that eventually wore the crown. So we won't be covering the likes of Anne Boleyn or Catherine I of Russia. For me, those are different stories that are unlike those that I want to tell in this series. That said, I have made one exception for reasons that will be clear later on in the season. Now, the perceptive among you may notice that this season is called Ruler's Mistresses, when I previously said we'd be talking about Royal Mistresses. This is because I didn't want the show to be confined to the courts of monarchies, as mistresses proliferate just as easily in republican systems. Just ask Monica Lewinsky and Marilyn Monroe. The allure of the ballot box winner can be just as powerful as the pull of a crown. Power, status and fame are the real attractions. We'll see through this season that mistresses come in many forms. Some are young and buxom, others experienced and maternal. We'll see greed, envy and lust, but also love, tenderness and comfort. There are stories of survival, but also of success, of women throwing off the shackles of class and prejudice and reaching heights they never could have reached had they not bedded a man of power. Some of them forged partnerships with their lovers that put new nations on the map, or brought them to the edge of ruin. So join me next week as we start on our journey of extramarital love and lust, as we bring ten women, who so often existed in the shadows, out into the light.